what had happened was, what had happened was last week, I got sort of sidetracked looking at what does it look like for Jesus to live his life in and through you. About, about the rhythm, and I use Brendan as an example regarding just moving in his rhythm, moving in the Lord's rhythm and, and his heart and, and his values. And, and, I, and that, that stemmed from, as a brother asked me about it, like what was previous, that stemmed from him being in a position, Jacob being in a position of desperation, Jacob spending time in prayer, Jacob seeking God, and in that seeking, encountered God who then revealed himself to him. And we're going to carry on with that because another really interesting passage happens. And, and, and I want us, as the people of God, to not only identify, or more, more like recognize, more like recognize how God is doing that in our lives and identify where those changes need to take place within our hearts, uh, to identify those positions of desperation where we cry out, like Jacob, to God and ask him to meet us where we're at and, and to bring us to himself. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Genesis 32 as we carry on looking at how God encounters people. And for those that are guests, I'm, this is my last camp shirt that I'm wearing. I was going to wear it last week, but I was, uh, it was dirty. So um, I washed it to wear it this week. So I've got your Bibles turned to Genesis 32. We're going to look at verses 24 to 32, but we won't read it in one hit because I'm going to read it as we look at each particular point. So let me pray, and then we'll look at the Scriptures together. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for the remembrance of what you have done for us in your son Jesus. Thank you for willingly sending him so that in his sacrifice and his death, we might have the opportunity to experience life. Um, that as we walk with Jesus, we can experience life in abundance. And as we look at your word now, you might continue to sanctify us and transform us to be like your son, Jesus. So we commit ourselves to you now that you will speak to us through the scriptures, speak to us through me, Lord, and, and help us to be, to be sensitive to what you are not only teaching us, uh, but what you, how you are going to change us. Please work your work, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in this passage of Genesis 32, this particular, I guess you could say, story, or record has been labeled within your Bibles as Jacob wrestles with God. Now this imagery that is portrayed, or the beauty of this passage, is that it, it, it alludes to the issue of prayer, of wrestling with God in prayer, and how one's encounter with God can be confrontational, can be humbling, but can also be transforming, because he is a God of involvement. He is a God that wants to involve himself in your life. He, wants a God, he is a God that not only wants to involve himself, he wants to, to shape you in these moments of desperation. And so the first of which I want us to look at from this passage, and I'll read the verses in a second, is what I call, is this on? It's not even on. There we go. There we go. The involvement with Jacob. And this is how God works through painful circumstance. 
Now, God works through painful circumstance. We often assess and identify or evaluate the pain that goes on in our lives as God not being there. We often sit there at the things that go wrong and wonder why God is not blessing, why God is not comforting, why God is not working, and we doubt God's love for us because we go through pain. The problem is this, and I, I, I don't like it, and I don't like it any more than anyone else. I don't like pain. I don't. But pain tells me that something's wrong with me. Pain awakens me to something that might not actually be right. I've had a problem with my left heel for three years that has prevented me from running. Now it's just come right. I went to the doctor, they told me what was wrong with it. I had all these issues wrong with my left, my left heel. Now I can start, I can run again, but now I'm running like really, I've got to learn how to run again. I've, I run, I do those little uh, small, small steps. It's, it looks really funny when I try to run. But that was made, well, I was made aware of that through the pain that took place. Now, if you look at Genesis 32, I'm going to read these two verses, verses 24 and 25. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, meaning overpower Jacob, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man, to provide a bit of context. If you recall last week, Jacob had separated his camp into two. Why? Because his brother was coming to meet with him. And he was scary because the consequences of Jacob's bad decisions had come back to bite him. And so he is fearful. He is fearful of what could happen. So he separates these two things. He, he, he tries to appease his brother, which results in his brother coming to him with 400 men. That's, that's, like, that's fighting words, really. You think, wow, that's pretty full on. 400 men, so he splits up his camp, he divides his belongings, he tries to appease his brother as to what's going on. Now, this context here, he sends his wife and his kids over the river, and he stays by himself. Maybe he's going to stay to pray. Maybe he's going to sit there and seek God. While he prays, this man comes up to him, and they end up in this wrestling match. Now, C.S. Lewis says this. If you ever get a chance, talk to Pastor Roger, for those who don't know. Pastor Roger dislocated his hip playing rugby. He said it was one of the worst pains he has ever experienced. It's sort of like, bam, he was playing rugby, it got wrenched, and his, his, his hip, well, the socket of his leg sort of like stuck out the side here. And he was like in the middle of the field with a really big behind. So that was just, and he said that was one of the worst things. Even now, he, he's still suffering from a bit of pain from that. But C.S. Lewis says this, pain insists upon being attended to. Pain insists on being, upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. In Jacob's case, it was to rouse a deceitful, self-reliant, manipulative heart. In my case, it is to awaken, stir, and realign my complacent comfortable, self-promoting or self-proclaiming spirit. You see, Jacob was faced with the pain of the unknown. He was faced with the pain of potential loss, the loss of his wealth, the loss of his loved ones, potentially the loss of his own life. 
And what's worse for Jacob is that he has probably now realized that this was the result of his own actions. He could lose his family because of the choices he made in the past. This was coming back round to him, the consequence. I mean, Jacob means liar. It means deceiver. It means usurper. And that is evident in what he does and how he acts and how he conducts himself. And now this is sort of coming full circle. And so while he is by himself, he encounters this man and a grappling match takes place. It's a wrestle, which is quite, quite good. It's quite a great picture of prayer. I'll explain why in a minute. But there's this grappling. When you have striking, when you have punching, when you have boxing, you can have, I was watching an MMA fight recently where a guy had just a lucky punch. He was losing the fight in the third round, lucky punch, and he ends up winning. Wrestling, not so much. Wrestling, I could ask Jono to come up and wrestle with me. He says no. Okay, so wrestling, it's, it's, it's close. It's interactive. It's intimate. It's where you lean on someone else and they lean on you. Where you're sitting there and you're moving around trying to discover either some weakness or somewhere where you can get an advantage. And so you spend time. And this takes place for hours. It takes place for hours. You can't have a lucky punch in this. There's no such thing as a lucky grapple. But there's this, this, this conflict that's going on between this man and Jacob. And somewhere along the line, Jacob realizes that it's not a man that he is wrestling with. There's not a man that he's saying, this, this, this is actually different. And he does this with all his might until finally, until finally, it results in his pain, that pain of the unknown, that pain of the potential loss, resulting in him, his pain being added to as he experiences physical pain in verse 25. Now, if according to C.S. Lewis, pain is used to rouse a deaf world, it means that the pain that Jacob is going through now, it forces him to do something. And it means that for Jacob, he needs to lean upon or discover or identify how God reveals himself to him in this circumstance. That circumstance and the pain in that circumstance didn't cause him to give up. It didn't cause him to just relax and lay back. If anything, it caused him to hold on even tighter. If anything, it caused him to fight even harder. Why? Because every effort that Jacob tried to attempt resulted in him making things worse. He tried to appease his brother. His brother comes back with 400 men. He's sending out all these gifts. It's not stopping his brother at all. Everything that he tries ends up making things worse. And so what does he do? He's desperate now. He has to hold on. He has to hold on with everything that he's got. There's nowhere else he can go. There's nothing else he can do. The only thing that's within his effort is who he can hold on to. That's it. If you look at John chapter 6, I think I made reference to it. John chapter 6, you have when Jesus is a, is, feeds the 5,000 people, they don't understand who Jesus is. He tells them that he is the bread of life. He tells them that they won't find sustenance or contentment in life anywhere else. He explains to them who he is, and people just didn't get it. Jesus says to them, you didn't follow me because of the things I told you about God. You followed me because your belly was filled. You followed me because you wanted something more. You followed me because you had a physical need met. That's what you wanted. You wanted your genie that could actually meet a need. That's what you wanted. 
And so when Jesus presented this reality of him being the bread of life and whoever partakes of him will receive life, then he asks his disciples, will you also go? What does Peter say? Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. For Peter and for the disciples, they were confronted with this reality. It says, where else? What else? In Australia, in the 21st century, for us, when I look around, and I have so many lovely brothers and sisters, friends, people who have walked with God, we, as I've shared in the past before, have experienced the abundance that life has to offer, and we are so thankful for that. On the downside, though, we have unintentionally pushed God to the side, and we've only sort of desired him when we've needed him, when he has accommodated what we wanted to do as he fits into our life. Sometimes we may need to be brought to this position of, say, Simon Peter, or this position of Jacob, where we need to hold on tighter to the Lord as opposed to give up. Where we need to hold tighter onto him for life and for purpose, for direction. And I know, and I have met, and I've spoken with so many people within this church here even in my own life, where there have been situations that have been beyond us, that have been beyond you, where you don't have an answer, where you don't know what's going on, and all you've had to do is hold on to Jesus. To hold on to him, to give you some type of understanding of a situation that you don't fully comprehend. And you know what? You don't even get an answer that time either. And you may sit there and say, I don't get it. I don't understand it but I'll accept it, Lord, because I know you love me. I know that. I know you love me, and while I don't get it, I'm going to hold on to it. Because in that pain, I discover you. In that trial, I feel your comfort. In that difficulty, in my lack of understanding, and while I may think it's unfair, I know you are just. And I will hold on to that. Or, what's the alternative? You give up. You leave. You're like those disciples that don't understand, so they pull away. Like I said, at some point in Jacob's struggle, he recognizes that it is God, that it is the God of his father, and the God of his grandfather with whom he wrestles. But with that revelation, partnered with his own painful desperation, this wrestling match for Jacob becomes far more than a battle of strength. It becomes a battle of what I call persistent endurance. This persistent endurance to hold on. In verse 26, it says this, Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. I will not let you go until you bless me. Yes, I don't understand. Yes, there's so many things going on, but I'm gonna hold on to you until you bless me. If the imagery of this passage is a picture of prayer, then one of the biggest obstacles to a successful prayer life is our ability to persistently endure in prayer, to persevere in prayer, to seek God in prayer because we don't pray until it hurts. We only pray when we get hurt. We don't pray persistently. We pray conveniently. 
we don't pray specifically. Instead, we pray generically with a blanket prayer we throw over everybody and just say, Lord, bless them and take care of them and amen. But we don't, we don't, you know why we don't take prayer seriously? It's because we don't think it works. It's like um, Tony Evans. Tony Evans terms it this way. He says, we use prayer like a vending machine. That we go to this vending machine called prayer and we place in our little coin of prayer and expect to get something out in response that we wanted to get. And when it doesn't give us what we want, then we think that doesn't work and we walk away. That's how we view prayer. Not understanding that prayer is the means by which we align our hearts with the God of creation. That, that prayer is him allowing us into his presence while he gives his ear to us. That's what prayer is. The way, the way we persistently endure. We're in a position, okay, we don't pray specifically or throw our blankets prayer unless, there's always an unless, isn't there, with us, unless we are in a position like J Jacob, of painful desperation that forces me to hold on to him who is the way because he shows me where to go, who is the truth because he reveals honestly who he is and who I am and who is the life who gives purpose to our existence. This is what so many of us, including myself, lack when it comes to prayer. We lack the resolve to, as it says in Luke 18.1, to always pray and not give up, that we lack the determination to pray without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians 5.17. We lack the desire to devote ourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. We lack the consistency to be patient in affliction and faithful in prayer, Romans 12.12. 12. And we lack the urgency to pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Ephesians 6, 18. You see, for Jacob to hold on so tightly was the result of him having every human effort backfire, every human plan thwarted, every human attempt fail, which raises the super uncomfortable challenge for me and for us, that the Lord may have to bring me to this point of desperation, to, for me to be dragged into this point of, of need where I can do nothing else but hold on to him. And that is scary. That is scary to sit there. That, that's why I remember sharing before, like, you know, do what it takes, Lord. I don't want to pray that anymore because what he takes means it, it will cost me something. But here, here's the thing, and I, I shared this with my mentor. We we're having a bit of a chat about it, and, and he's, he's lost a lot. Like, I remember him, like, when his wife passed away, because he's only a year older than me, and his wife passed away, and, and he shared that journey and, and what God's been doing and how relationships have broken down. And, he shared, and I shared this, the whole do-what-it-takes thing, the whole whatever it is, Lord, that whole desperation, being desperate for God. And I said, I'm scared to do that, brother. And he goes, you know why you're scared to do that, Joe? And I says, well, no, and I, I, I know you're going to tell me. And he told me, 
And he says, because you don't realize the beauty of, of who you have in Jesus Christ. You don't see the fullness of, of his love for you, the, the greatness of what he gives you in himself. To, to, to know that you'll be content and consumed with the love of Jesus because he's given his all for you. I think that's why. That's why, because you think that you're missing out because you have Jesus above all else. And you think you're, yeah, what's, that, what's that phrase, the, the FOMO thing? You, you get that fear of missing out. That's what you think because you haven't got a, a, a clear picture of the greatness of the King of kings and of the Lord of lords who loved you so much that he died for you, who rose again so that you could know him, so you could be born again into his family. I think that's why. And I was like, yeah, I didn't want to hear that. But he's right. But he's right. The beauty of Jesus Christ and, and knowing him and that there is nothing else but him. Well, that would not, that then cause everything else to fade into the background. Would, would, would not that then make everything look as, ugh, in comparison, to, thanks Brad for the confirmation. Brad echoed my blur. But would that, wouldn't that, sometimes there's just words that don't express it, just blah. Would not that be the things of the world in comparison to the beauty of Jesus Christ? That's what I am challenged with now. That's when it would be so much easier to just give up when confronted with the harshness of life, when I'm down and discouraged because of what other people do or don't do, when I'm disappointed by my own failures or disheartened by the, the, the non-activity of others, the pain is felt to help me lean into the Lord, to, to, to trust Him. You know why it says, count it all joy in James chapter 1, verse 2, when you fall into diverse temptations? You know why it says we can count that all joy? Because we are holding on to Jesus in those moments. I know I've often used this, but like I think about some of the trials that my family and I have been through over the past 10 years, 10, 15 years. And I can say honestly that I've seen God deliver on so many different occasions, even though they haven't gone the way that I've wanted them to or the way that I expected them to. But I've got to experience the beauty of Jesus in those moments. That's why being persistent, that persistent endurance that, that, that forces me to lean into the Lord. I mean, look, look at this. It was, uh, it was the persistent desire of the sinful woman that forced her to enter into Simon the Pharisee's home and be looked down upon by them so she could wash the Lord Jesus' feet with the ointment and dry, the, dry his feet with her hair. If she didn't care about what other people, it was her persistent desire to be near Jesus that enabled her to withstand the condescending looks of the religious leaders. It was the persistent faith of the woman with the issue of blood who pushed through the crowds, who pushed through the crowds and who said to herself, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. So much so that when she touched his garment, even though he was surrounded by people, he stopped and he said, who touched me? The disciples, what did the disciples say? You're surrounded by people touching you. What do you mean, who touched you? Because there was that special touch of faith that she had, that she persisted, she pushed through, and it was that touch that caught Jesus' attention. That touch that caused him to acknowledge her and receive healing. 
It was, the, it was the persistence of Zacchaeus that forced this short little guy to run down the road and climb a tree so he could see Jesus clearly. That's what, that's what he was. The, the, pain, the pain of not being able to see above the crowds. The pain of not being able to get through them. The pain of his own career as a tax collector and looked down on because of that. That forced him to go find somewhere else to climb and see Jesus. The pain that we need, no, look, our painful desperation. We don't need to go through this painful desperation continually for us to get to this point. But prayerfully, we can have our spirits revived by the Lord to see the value, to see the importance, to, the, to see the necessity to be people who endure persistently in prayer, to persistently seek after God. Because I know for a fact that every single person here in this room, and if you're watching at home, that you have some point of need, some place of desperation in your life. It might be relationally, it might be financially, it might be commercially, it might be something to do professionally. But there is something going on in your life and in that moment, God is saying, come to me, hold on to me, persistently persevere in pursuing me. That's what he's saying to you. Because it is in that, and, and will that change anything for you? Probably not. It probably won't but it'll change your perspective on what's going on around you. What's the D.L. Moody quote? That don't pray that God will deliver you from trials, but that he will give you strength in himself to endure those trials. That's what Moody says. It's not a matter of being free of things. It's a matter of going through those things and discovering the greatness of Jesus. Because when you persistently endure, what does that lead to? Personal change leads to transformation. In verses 27 to 32, read with me in your Bibles if you have them. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed them there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Verse 31, the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Now, the blessing Jacob asks for is for the name of whom he wrestles. And the fact that he receives a change of name was a confirmation to him that who he wrestled with was God. When you have a look at what the Bible talks about, there we go. When you have a look at what the Bible talks about, when God encounters people, in some cases, he changes their name as an indication of what he is doing in the person's life. For example, you have Abram, whose name is changed to Abraham. You have Sarai, who's changed to Sarah. What about Simon Peter? You know, Simon changed to Peter. The, the transformation brought about one, by one's encounter with God is sometimes marked by that change of name. Thus, Jacob the deceiver is changed by God to Israel, one who struggles with God. 
It is a testament to what has occurred to Jacob. So that's the first thing. There's this change of name. Second thing that happens is there's a physical change. He now has a limp. He's got a, he now has a limp, a physical reminder of the struggle that he had, a reminder that would never be forgotten, and when questioned about it, he can recount that moment he was blessed by God personally, and that that blessing by God also cost him. It cost him something. And thirdly, there is a change of attitude. He is humbled by the fact that he wrestled with God and was spared. And that was commemorated by, commemorated by naming the place Peniel, that he struggled with God, or he saw God face to face and was spared. And in Exodus 33, Moses asks God and says, please show me your face. And God says to him, no man may look upon God and live. That's in verse 20 of Exodus 33. And so Jacob here, before Moses' time, but Jacob here recognizes the, the grace that has been bestowed upon him. Jacob recognizes the mercy that has been shown to him. The fact that he wrestled with God and by all means could have been destroyed and yet God had spared him. There is this change of name, this change of conduct and this change of heart all brought about by this encounter with God birthed from this single place of desperation. Now, we know we know some of this desperation as he involves himself with us. See, when you look at the gospel, we come to discover our own condemnation before God because of our sin. So we cry out to him to save us. We call upon him to deliver us. We ask the Lord to forgive us in Jesus' name and through trusting in him and what he has done when we are confronted with the pain of our own sinfulness. Because you and I both know, you and I both know how wretched we really are. I know what I'm like. I know my selfishness. I know my pride. I know my ego. I know my arrogance. When I look in the mirror and I see myself, I see someone that's not only really good, no, just kidding, he's not really good looking, but when I see myself, I see somebody, and I see the failures of what I'm like as a man. And I know how I've felt with people sometimes, how I've just wanted to like, oh, okay, when I tell you that story, but anyway, there's like, if, if, like the school that I work at, and it's just like some of the, uh, and I want to show the love of Jesus to some of these kids, and, and inside I'm like, Lord, I, I know you want me to love them. This is my place of need right now. I, I really want to, I just want to choke them right now, Lord. I, I really do. Please help me. Please help me. I want to show the love of Jesus. That's what I'm like. And so we, we know what we're like, and we know the pain of that. And to think that this God of creation who sent his son for me is here to deliver me from this, from, from that. So as his child, we might suffer the pain of persecution that comes upon the ungodly. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, all those that live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. We might have the pain of being in the world and not of the world, especially when you look at things and you're excluded because of the values you hold, or you're excluded because you are a Christian, or you're excluded for whatever reason as you seek to obey the Lord. And we might experience that pain, the pain of rejection, because you hold to biblical truth not cultural bias. You might have the pain of being hated 
because you know Jesus. And Jesus says, because they hated me, they're going to hate you. There's those sorts of pains that take place, the pain of unanswered prayer, not because he didn't answer, but because I didn't like the answer that he gave me. So we have all of those sorts of pains, and those pains are to what? Drive us close to him, hold on tighter to him, and to enduringly do so, because that's our pain. We also have our endurance. We receive transformation not so much in name, for in Christ our names are written in the book of life, but rather we are renewed to prove the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We are transformed as the new man is put on and the old man is put off as we walk in Christ and have the Spirit reveal to us things that the natural eye cannot see, that the natural ear cannot hear, that the natural heart cannot receive unless the Spirit of God is present. Now, we have this, and that, that's why. That's why we are told in Hebrews chapter 12 that we are to run patiently the race that is set before us laying aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles us. It's a, it's a marathon. It's living the life one day at a time, one step at a time, as Jesus is himself in you. And there's this endurance, this endurance of, 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 keeping, of, of pressing on. <laughs> Sorry. Of pressing on into Jesus. Of pressing on to the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And in that enduring persistence, in that perseverance, at the school that I work at, the motto is persevere. Persevere, endure, press on. That's what the school that I work at, that's what they promote. And, they want that, and I think that would be very suitable for us as the people of God, to press on, to endure, to persevere. But in that, in our pain, in our endurance, we also experience our change, which will come up very soon. Here we go. Thank you. Our change. Leaving that limp, our limp of this newness of life that restricts the sinful nature from having free reign after its defeat by Jesus, that we live by the authority of God's word by which the world, the flesh, and the devil can be defeated. That we have this limp as we walk in the presence of the Spirit of God that convicts the world of judgment, uh, sorry, convicts the world of sin and, and seals the believer in Christ. And the people of God through which we function as one body to build up one another in the faith. See, the limp is the reminder of God's blessing working in your life. Sometimes it might be inconvenient, but it's never stopping you from moving forward. So when I look around, you are a testament. You are the reminder. You are my limp to remind me of the grace of God placed upon me as we walk together. That when we gather here on a Sunday, that when we gather here and pray on a Wednesday, that these are the limps to continually remind us of, of, of God's continual working and, and involvement in each of our lives. This is what it looks like when the God of creation involves himself with us. 
This is what it looks like when our heavenly Father who loves you involves himself with you. A God that wrestles with you, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual authorities, against spiritual wickedness in the high places. We have a Father that involves himself with us, that walks with us, and that encourages us, that, that, that spurs us on to press toward that mark, who stabilizes us as he is, as we, as he is kept before us. And where he comes alongside of us in the right, at his right hand, that we have a loving God that changes us from the inside out, who reveals to us what he is doing as he did with Abraham in Genesis 18. The sovereign Lord that invites you to himself, and he says, Come to me, all that you labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Whose Holy Spirit indwells us and redeems us and sanctifies us. This, this is the God of involvement. This is the God who injects himself into each of your lives, regardless of the context, regardless of who you are, and regardless of what you're going through. He is the God who involves himself in every single way, who in Jesus made it possible for us to know him and to be known by him. And this is the God that wants to encounter you. As we move into Easter, this is the perfect reminder for us of the greatness of his involvement. That when he left his glory above and adorned himself in human flesh and walked this earth to understand the things that we go through, because he was tempted in every way that we are and yet without sin, so that he could understand our hearts and our minds and our struggles and then show us the way in which those things are overcome. That is the God of involvement. And that is the God who wants to involve himself with you. And I pray that you'll open yourself up to him as he does that. And as he reveals more of his goodness to you. So with that, Let's pray. I did end up going longer than I wanted to. Sorry. But let's pray and let's seek God. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that he is the ultimate picture of your involvement in each of our lives. That you, that you just done the amazing by, by becoming man, by sacrificing yourself, by being buried and, and rising again by opening the avenue by which we could be called the sons and daughters of the Most High God. Thank you that you know every hair on our head, that, that you know every dark thing that we hide, that you know every single aspect about us, and that you draw us to yourself. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. And I pray you will help us, Lord, to, to see that, that we, Lord, will see our pain and our painful circumstance as the means through which we come to you and hold on to you. That we will persistently endure and hold on to you for everything because anything outside of you is just sinking sand. And Father, that as we hold on to you, we'll experience just that transformation, that personal change as you make us to be more like your son, Jesus. So we ask for you now, Lord, to speak to each, and, each one of our hearts. 
and that you will bring your will about as you continue the work that you began in us. So I commit each person here to you now that we will be confident of this very thing, that you who began a good work in us will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. And in that confidence, Lord, rest in the joy and in the hope and in the purpose that you have given us in Jesus. And we ask this in his name. Amen.